0: You're listening to audio from the West End Community Church in McGregor, Manitoba. Well, good morning again. It's good to see you all. As Pastor Myron said last week, when just one of us is here, there comes a point in the service where you're just, you got to listen to me now. And so I hope that's okay. I hope that's not problematic for anyone here. Um, it is super good. It's just great to be back with you. Uh, I haven't been here for a little bit, and it feels like longer than it was, uh, missing the last two weeks. Uh, I just want to say thank you to all of you who prayed for us while we were out of commission and at home sick. Um, it's super encouraging to know that people were praying for us, and those of you who messaged us, thank you for those words of encouragement. They were greatly appreciated and greatly needed at times. Um, it's great to be out of the house. Uh, <laughs> Hiding in your basement for two weeks is not fun either. Uh, not getting to hold your baby boy is no fun. And so I'm very thankful to be back here, to be allowed to walk amongst you again. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to share God's word with you this week. It's been a while since I've done that as well. And so I'm, I'm very thankful. I'm very excited. I always love jumping into the series that we're in as Myron is guiding us through the word. And so if you would join me in Jeremiah, we're back there again today in chapter 43 If you would make your way there, that would be great. Jeremiah 43. Pastor Myron covered chapter 42 last week. Um, I got to watch it at home. If you missed out on that or you weren't here and you look on the website or on your podcast forms and you can't find the audio for that sermon, if you go to the website and click on the live stream link, you can find the video. Uh, But there was a technical difficulty that kept the audio from being uploaded last week. So if you're looking for that The video is there, although the audio, the strictly audio version is not. Um, As you're making your way to chapter 43, or it looks like most of you are there, good job, you're fast. um, I feel it's important to set the stage for today and what we're going to be talking about. And I know that we've done that a lot through this book, and and I apologize if you're tired of recaps and history, but... Repetition generally means things are important and repetition is important today because it sets the stage for a a bit of a different approach to the book of Jeremiah than we've been taking in previous sermons. Throughout this book, we constantly come back to the main theme of the book and Jeremiah's purpose in writing this book. Jeremiah is a man who has been called by God to be God's messenger to God's people, warning them to turn back to their God to turn away from their sinful ways and the idolatry that has overtaken them. And if they repent and turn to God, he will be gracious to them. God has said again and again, return to me and I will return to you. Repent and be my people and I will be your God. And if you don't, God's punishment is coming to chasten them, to turn them back to him. And so Jeremiah has prophesied again and again and again to no avail this turn to correction, and now correction has come in the form of God's chosen instrument, Babylon. Now, over the last few weeks, Pastor Myron has shared about what took place when Babylon came to Jerusalem, to the nation of Judah. He shared about a siege that took place. Historians and scholars believe that this was not a short affair. 18 months 18 months of this much fun for anybody living within those city walls. A siege is an army, an opposing army surrounding the city, cutting off any sort of entrance or exit to that place, trying to starve out the inhabitants as they wait for them to die of natural causes or disease or they try to slowly find a way to breach the walls and invade the city. This is eventually what takes place in this historical event. Babylon breaches the walls and finds a way into the city and when this happens Zedekiah the king at the time and his soldiers see them coming and instead of rushing to meet them in battle they flee which leads to a terrible terrible massacre Um, countless men women and children killed as the city fell and for those who fled the king and his army the same came for them as they were eventually overtaken and defeated by Babylon And amongst those who survived this ordeal, terrible as it was, with those who remained, a large majority of them are now taken as slaves to live out the rest of their lives as exiles, captives in Babylon. Now, for those of you who were here last week, a little bit of repetition. For those of you who weren't, this is important. Pastor Myron mentioned that there were some people who were left behind in the city. Remnant is something was talked about last week. The importance of... Uh, modern application, us as the remnant, right, recognizing we're the minority in the world now, and it's our job to shine for Christ. But this remnant that stayed in Jerusalem, in the city, Pastor Myron referred to as a skeleton crew that was not necessarily the brightest or the best of the people. Now, I want to dig into this a little bit more because it really does set the tone for two people we want to look at today. There is a very intentional reason behind Babylon leaving not the brightest or the best. And the reason is this. Babylon, as they are conquering and, and just sweeping across the known world at the time, their strategy is not a scorched earth strategy of leaving nothing but destruction in their wake. They are seeking to expand their empire and their sphere of influence. They are looking to absorb nations into the empire of Babylon. And so in doing this, in taking away... Uh, Exiles into their nation, they intentionally take away the most educated, the wealthy, royalty, any future leadership of the nation in the hope of indoctrinating, uh, of destroying the next generation of these people. They indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture so there is no hope for their culture to survive. We went through the book of Daniel not too long ago and this is very evidenced in things we read in that book if you recall Uh, we see things written in there about the are the exiles who were taken away their diet was changed they were forced to eat food that was not kosher in keeping with the law that God had set before them they were taken away from the temple uh, from their regular acts of worship and were forced to worship Babylonian deities and idols even their names were changed we, we see prominent characters in that book that we only know by their Babylonian names one of the most popular stories out of the book of Daniel and for those of us who grew up in or around the church in Sunday school you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego yeah? and the fiery furnace and, and you know that those are their Babylonian names, right? I'm curious and I know that there's probably a fair few of you who could but do all of you know their Hebrew names? I think it's interesting that we only know them and recognize them by their Babylonian names. Without cheating, I I wonder if you could name them. If not, look after the service. It's a fun little thing. Start referring to them by their Hebrew names. You confuse a lot of people, but it's a lot of fun. This indoctrination, though, is taking place while leaving some, as was said, to continue to live and function as a vassal state of Babylon in their homeland. And a man from amongst the people who are left behind is chosen to act as a puppet leader, a governor or something over the people who remain. Within the book of Jeremiah, we are introduced to a man named Gedaliah who is given that role and responsibility. But what's interesting is even though they've placed an internal governor over them, someone to keep them in line and to keep things functioning normally, um, they're very intentional with making sure that anyone who seemingly could offer you know, informed or prominent leadership to the remnant, anyone who could potentially cause future issues for Babylon in terms of uprising or, or anything like that are gone. And this is important because what I want to do today, instead of giving you three points that all have three points and just making you, you know, try to decide which point I'm on at one time because I don't do slides like Myron, um, I want to look at two specific lives today and two specific worldviews. And we're going to kind of break down what we see inside of them and how we see uh, those things work out in our world today. But the first guy I want to look at, the first piece I want to put on the board today is Jeremiah. Jeremiah remains in Jerusalem, and we know that Jeremiah is an educated man, a prophet, a person who people throughout the, the book, uh, at times, to varying levels of success, have looked to him for leadership and guidance and understanding. A man who is equipped to lead, why is he still here if Babylon's goal is to uh, avoid that kind of person being left around? Well, if we backtrack a little bit, and I'm just going to briefly run through this to chapter 39 and 40, we see something take place that could only really be described as God's grace and sovereignty at work in this story. Nebuchadnezzar, The Babylonian commander was ordered very specifically concerning Jeremiah to not harm him, and beyond that, to listen to anything he said to him, to do whatever he says. As men and women and children are being taken away into slavery, Jeremiah is given his freedom, and he's given an offer. You can come with me, Nebuchadnezzar, and live with me in Babylon, not as a slave, as a man who is well taken care of to live comfortably the rest of your days. But Jeremiah, of his own choosing, stays. His, his shepherd's heart is put on display for us here in that even though he's been mistreated by, threatened by, thrown into cisterns by these people, he longs to stay with them, to care for them, and he wants to see God's promise fulfilled to them and through them. For us today, looking at this, we have the hindsight and the understanding that God's promise for his people to endure through all of this was because the promised Savior and Messiah would come from this people from this land. Jeremiah knows this too. And so now he's continuing um, to serve the people, to guide them, to try to keep them in place where God wants them so that they would endure and that God's wrath would be turned away from them. Jeremiah is our first piece on the board today. Now, in continuing to set pieces on the board for this week, we need to talk about one more guy, and he's a name that we've heard a little bit already leading up to this week. His name is Johanan, the son of Caria. Johanan, we're introduced to, we see him in, in chapter 40, verse 7. We're introduced to him as a military man, and not just a military man, he's an officer. Um an officer in the Judean army. And he's part of a faction of men who were actually away from the city when the siege and conquering of the city took place. A guy who definitely, most definitely, would have been killed had he been there when the city was laid waste to. if not killed, at the very least taken away into exile with the other exiles as he is a man built for leadership, an officer, a man who understands the political structure of the military and other things around him like that. He's good at making decisions. He's good at leading people. He's not the kind of guy you would want kicking around in the city. Another prime candidate to be in a leadership position in Jerusalem, a guy who probably could bring the people back from the the brink of Destruction and lead them into prosperity. <clears throat> and as we look at him, he starts off in the story looking like a bit of a hero figure. If you recall what was read before, if you want to go back and start at verse 40 and read through, <clears throat> we see that he comes back to the city seemingly in a good headspace. Gedaliah has been placed as governor over God's people, and Gedaliah is on the same page as Jeremiah working to enforce God's commands for his people. Stay here, serve Babylon. It's going to be okay. We're going to be all right. And Johanan comes in underneath Gedaliah, seemingly submissively looking to help him lead, um, following him. Without spending too much time here, I want to keep moving. I'm just going to say this. Even though Johanan seemed to fall in line and be okay with what was going on in Jerusalem under Gedaliah, not everyone was. And and a plot to assassinate Gedaliah is uncovered by Johanan himself actually. He catches word that a guy by the name of Ishmael uh, is not very happy and he tries to warn and save Gedaliah. Uh, Again though to no avail. Gedaliah is assassinated by Ishmael who then proceeds to continue to commit other atrocities and murders throwing dead bodies into cisterns and um, just not good stuff, right? And, and so this city that was once God's city for God's people where God's temple light and, and all of the holy objects and items were there, the crown jewel of God's people is now laying in ruins and beyond that it continues to be a bit of a war zone even after Babylon has moved on. But Johanan being our hero, Right? runs Ishmael out of town. He grabs the other officers and the remaining military men and he chases Ishmael away, our hero, right? So now we have two pieces on the board who are presented in two very different ways. Jeremiah as one who's been warning about this punishment for a long time, right? He's been telling people, God's righteous wrath is coming if you don't turn. And when they don't, he basically doesn't give them an out. He just says, buck up and deal with it. It's going to be rough. Hang on for the ride. Not a very popular guy, as you can imagine, by being a guy who is saying this again and again and again. And now we have Johannan as well, a man who is seen by the people as strong, brave, capable, a fighter, and a leader. And this background is really important because it brings us to last week's sermon and understanding why people are acting the way they are. Johanan, now a man with leadership in mind, thinks it's a good idea to flee and seek asylum in Egypt. From a worldly perspective, this doesn't seem like a bad idea, right? Jerusalem's in ruins. Everything's knocked down and broken. There's not a lot going on there that is good. And beyond that, Egypt's looking strong. They're doing well for themselves. Maybe even they can stand up against Babylon should Babylon come back around. So following his military mindset and his understanding of what is right and wrong, he makes this decision, but also being a man who understands the political world, he knows that it's prudent to go and talk to Jeremiah and seek God's blessing in this decision. He comes to Jeremiah, please pray for us ask us if this is the right thing, ask God if this is the right thing for us to do and no matter what God says in response, we will obey and follow. So Jeremiah obliges, he prays for them and returns with a response that is a very resounding no. Not just a no, but a warning about what will happen if they decide to go anyway, even more severe punishment, and not just a warning about what will happen when they go, basically calling them out, uh, for disobeying this response before they've even disobeyed this response. He tells them, you're going to go, you're going to do it, and it's going to be bad for you. And that brings us to chapter 43, where we see Johanan's response to all of these things. I want to look at the first seven verses. I'm going to read them uh, with you right now really quickly to see what Johannan says to this. Chapter 43, verse 1. When Jeremiah had finished telling the people all the words of the Lord their God, everything the Lord had sent him to tell them, Azariah, son of Hoshiah, and Johanan, son of Kariah, and all the arrogant men said to Jeremiah, You are lying. The Lord our God has not sent you to say you must not go to Egypt to settle there. But Baruch, son of Neriah, is inciting you against us to hand us over to the Babylonians so that they may kill us or carry us into exile to Babylon. So, Johanan, son of Kareah, and all the army officers and all the people disobeyed the Lord's command to stay in the land of Judah. Instead, Johanan, son of Kareah, and all the army officers led away all the remnant of Judah who had come back to live in the land of Judah from all the nations where they had been scattered. They also led away all the men, women, children, and the king's daughters from whom Nebuchadnezzar had, the commander of the imperial guard, had left with Gedaliah under his charge. The son of Shaphan and Jeremiah, sorry, Gedaliah, who had been left in charge, the son of Ahiakim, son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, the prophet, and Baruch, son of Neriah. So they entered Egypt in disobedience to the Lord and went as far as... Taffanese. Sorry, I just want to be like Pastor Myron, so I have to turn off my mic and cough every now and then as well. Um, Sorry, Myron, if you're listening to this. Love you. Um, It's been said by more than one scholar that the only thing we don't, sorry, the only thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from our history. I'm sure you've all heard the saying, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. There are many scholars who have taken that a step further and say, even if you remember, chances are, right, we're going to be right back in that place. Johannine, Prime example of this. He turns from heroic leader and trusted ally to narcissistic villain like that. Immediately challenging Jeremiah and going so far as to call him a false prophet. Jeremiah's entire life has been about exposing false prophets and teaching people the word of God properly leading them back to him and now he's being lumped in with them time and time and time again, Jeremiah has prophesied, and it has come to pass, and these people have lived through that and seen it. But yet again, here, when God's will conflicts with man's will, man chooses to wage war against him. What I think is also interesting in in regards of looking at forgetting our own history, it seems very unlikely that these men would have no understanding of Israel's history, specifically regarding Egypt. Um, Most of us here know, I think, as well, that the last time God's people were feeling on the brink of death and they went to Egypt, it didn't end so well for them. Generations enslaved, children killed, not a good time until Moses leads uh, the exodus out of the land. How can they not know? Moses, in his writing and his teaching, the law that was given during this exodus is everything that Hebrew culture and religion was built off of. But even with that set to the side, if we want to, we don't have to think about their understanding of history or if they did or didn't know about these things. What's made very clear is that there was no intent to follow God from the initiation of that request for prayer. A mind made up simply wanted a response that lined up with its pre-designed decision. I came across a quote this week in my time of studying uh, from a man named Derek Kidner, an amazing Old Testament scholar and commentator, and he said this uh, in regards to this situation. All along, they viewed him as a power to enlist, not a God to trust and follow. And they still, at this time, could not believe that his will could be radically different from their own. Did you catch that? Say that again. They viewed God as a power to enlist, not a God to trust or follow. How in the world could he possibly think different than me? Aren't I great? This statement and this line of thinking really influenced and affected my approach to today um, to the point that it changed some of the things I was planning on talking about. Chapters 42 and 43 of this book are very connected and, and how was I to follow up a message um, as great as the one Myron gave last week about the remnant and our call to be so today, to obediently follow and shine in the world. I do not want to stand here today and belabor points that he's already made. We can understand why they would want to leave Jerusalem, it's in ruins, right? We understand the importance of the modern application for the remnant. We need to be set apart. But instead of looking at those things, today I want to look at those two lives that were presented to you, the two pieces on the board, two lives who are following two very different worldviews and understandings of how they are to function as God's people. and to recognize the similarities and parallels that carry into our lives today as we look for application here. Men who set examples for us to follow in the world today. And these two mindsets, these two competing mindsets that they have, we encounter them today all the time. We really do. And those mindsets are this. Johannan over here. I think, so this must mean... And Jeremiah, God says, so I must do. Johanan is a man of action. He's methodical. He's calculated. And so he's working under the assumption that his choice is the best one. His life and world experience would dictate that. I'm still alive and in the city when so many others aren't. God clearly has a purpose for me. This must be the right decision from a tactical perspective. And any response, on the contrary, couldn't possibly be from God. Now, we can look at him today, this quick turn that this heroic figure made, and we can shake our heads at him. But in as loving a way as possible as I can, I I am very confident in saying, if not all of us, most of us, I'm sure, have done this same thing at some point or another in our lives. And I mean, we don't have prophets today like they did giving us new information that we can disagree with or point fingers at or accuse. Um, But how many of us in our lives struggling with an issue or a person, an association, an entity of some kind, struggling with these things have gone to this book and have dug and dug and dug and flipped and flipped and flipped through pages looking for the answer we want and when we can't, we go outside of these pages to other people's interpretation until we find what we want to hear. I can't possibly forgive this person so I have to find every book on forgiveness that I can. I can't possibly fall in line with what this leadership structure is doing and so I have to find something that allows me to move against this. I can't possibly agree with this individual statement and so I have to find something to break it down and we move Further and further away from this book, looking at people who are constantly moving the goalposts. People who, regardless of, of context or sound study and effort being put into understanding this book, are giving answers that tickle our ears and sound awfully great. So that we can justify our actions towards these. Different obstacles before us. Or maybe we're not trying to justify action. Maybe we're just trying to justify how we feel about it and how we speak about it. This might be inappropriate for me to do, but well, so and so said this and understands this as a position of this. And we find ourselves moving into those camps where the goalposts are being moved and we set up shop there. Throughout our lives, it's, I'm sure you can think as well, it's not overly common to hear a message that's convicting, that's challenging, that cuts to the heart of you and think, golly gee, I can't wait for more of that next week. It's easy, so easy to look for what we want to hear versus what we need to hear. To land ourselves in a camp and let those external voices and even our own voice influence how we approach God's word, submission and service to him. And to bring it back to Jeremiah, the root cause of this problem is written here in God's word for us very clearly so that we can be warned about it. Look at how verse two refers to Azariah and Johanan. The what men said to Jeremiah. The arrogant men. Your translation might say insolent or proud I like that one. There is pride that rests within us when we think to ourselves, I can't possibly be wrong, so they must be. And so I'm just going to leave and go where other people are thinking the same way as me. This, I tell you, is not pursuing sound education. This is not the road to enlightenment or mutual refining. This is sticking your head in the sand and only choosing to take it out when people speak and sound the same way as you. And this is done in our world, not necessarily by putting your head in a hole in the ground, um, but what's become very popular in our culture is shouting down people who don't agree with you instead of dialoguing with them and canceling or cutting people out of your life. These people don't feed you and your joy and your this or that, cut them out. And this isn't what God prescribes for us. Johanan falls in this camp. My thinking leads me to believe that this has to be the right choice so the word of God couldn't possibly be the, word of, the actual word of God presented here. In the world today so much, we, we look at this book through the lens of our own understanding. Whereas Jeremiah, Jeremiah, on the other hand, seeks to correct false thinking through gracious shepherding. The fact that they accused him of being influenced by his scribe is is actually kind of laughable to me as well. This is a man who wouldn't change his message for kings. Why would he do so for his secretary, as uh, Feinberg says, another commentator? He wouldn't budge for a king. Why would he do so for a secretary? He never deviated from the message, regardless of what was happening around him in terms of how well things were going in the city, the social setting, how people felt about him personally. The, The message never deviated. It never changed. The call to repentance and endurance stayed the same. And I tell you why. Jeremiah was not led by what he thought. He was led by what he knew. I've heard another pastor say once, and I'm not going to say who it was because I don't remember. There's two men that I kind of like, it's got to be this guy or this guy, and I don't want to give credit to the wrong one, but uh, I, I heard a pastor say once that as a challenge, do not look for men, for pastors, who will tell you what they think. Look for someone who will tell you what they know. It is not my job to stand before you today and say, I think this says this, so we should do this. That's a slippery slope and a scary place to be that can lead you into doctrinal pitfalls and holes in your life. God makes very clear his nature and his hope and his plan for his people within the words of this book. The I think variable for Jeremiah is completely removed from his motives. If it was about what Jeremiah thought, this book would be even more depressing than it already is. He's referred to as the weeping prophet. <laughs> I don't know where his mental state was the whole time, and if we, we were being led by that, ye. And we see this to the extent that, as was talked about last week, when men came to him and say, pray for us to let us know if we should go to Egypt, Jeremiah said, sure, I will go and pray about that. And he even made them, he made them wait for over a week. It was 10 days before they got a response, right? So what I find interesting about that is, uh, I'm sure Jeremiah was pretty confident what the answer would be, because the answer has been the same for the last 42 chapters. Cut it out. You were promised that this was going to happen, but you were also promised that there was going to be restoration beyond this. Why do you keep trying to find your way out of it? But Jeremiah, being faithful to what he knows is true and faithful to God's word, waited for over a week until God had clearly spoken to him. And what's more, after these men challenge the word he brings to them, this chapter then tells us that they didn't just say, Fine, you do whatever we want, you want, we're going. They made the choice to leave for Egypt and they made him go with them. Whether that was them forcibly bringing him along or they simply forced his hand because he was seeking to care for the people and they grabbed all the people and took them to Egypt, we don't know. But we do know that Jeremiah probably wouldn't be in Egypt. Johanan, not grabbed everybody and gone there anyway. So not only are they disobedient and living in sin, they're forcing other people into that sin. God wants you to stay? I don't care. I want you to come with me. Now this all seems like a bit of a bummer of a message again, but there's some pretty cool things that happen here as well that I want to make note of. Something that I absolutely loved about this chapter as I read it in this passage is that um, it's something that kind of sneaks its way into the last six verses. We read up to cha- uh, verse seven. If you look at the end, after they go to Tafenis, um they find a, a house. It looks like a house that maybe Pharaoh would live in when he was passing through the specific area. And while there, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah again. God speaks to his people again. I know what he says doesn't sound very nice. Uh, Jeremiah starts stacking stones on the side of the road and then he tells people, judgment is coming that will devastate Egypt. You are going to be forced to live through the horrors of what you just experienced in Jerusalem again. But it's going to be worse there's going to be no hope that maybe you can hold out. No 18 months. This is going to be swift in its destruction. The imagery of the shepherd putting on his coat as it, as it reads here. He will set fire to the temples of the gods of Egypt. He will burn their temples. This is starting at verse 12. And he will take their gods captive. As a shepherd wraps his garment around him, so will he wrap Egypt around himself. He's speaking of Babylon. And depart from there unscathed. <clears throat> So the imagery of a shepherd uh, putting on his coat is telling us how swiftly this will come. If we've learned anything about shepherds in the Bible, uh, we've learned this. Their lives aren't that great. Uh, You live outside. You smell. You're on the bottom of the social totem pole. You're constantly looking for wandering sheep or fighting off wild animals and thieves. So on and so forth. So putting on your coat is probably the quickest and easiest part of your job that you could do. Um, And so the destruction of Egypt will be. There's going to be no hiding from it, no avoiding it. There's going to be no hope of holding out. It will be swift in its coming. Now that's not fun to hear. God spoke to Jeremiah again. Yay, whoa, whoa. Not fun. But the part that I love about it that even... Even though they are so far removed from Jerusalem, even though they directly disobeyed God's command and left where he told them to stay, even though they were separated from the will of God, God spoke to them. He told them what was going to happen. He told them what to do. God still speaks to them. Do you think they're going to believe him this time? Now, where am I going with all of this? Maybe you're wondering. Well, in looking at two different lives and where their decisions have led them, I'm going to go with, I'm going to bring this up. Last week, Pastor Myron mentioned discerning God's will. How do we discern God's will? And he said, I'm not going to touch that this week. He did that because we needed to touch on it this week. What is God's will for us and how can we know it? Please, I, I beg of you all, when you go home from here today, throughout this week, read this book. Okay? This isn't homework, this is just a, rec- a request from somebody who cares about you. Read this book. In here are the words of life. In here, his will is laid out. If you don't believe me, one of Myron's, Pastor Myron's, uh, sorry, Pastor Myron, be proper. One of Pastor Myron's favorite passages and one we, uh, we spent some time preaching in not long ago was Micah 6.8, What does God require of you? Sounds like an answer. Act justly, love mercy, and walk how? Not pridefully, like these men did, walk humbly with your God. Well, that seems vague. How do we make that practical? Keep reading the book throughout the New Testament. Abstain from evil, Romans 12:9. Be content with what you have, Hebrews 13:5. Don't be a potty mouth, First Timothy 6:20. I could go on all day, but we don't have time. You probably want to eat lunch sometime before three. But if I could wrap it up nicely with a bow, I'd do so in this. Where is the practical application? What do we bring forward? How does this connect to the new covenant and to us as God's people, the church today? Love God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. This is the greatest commandment, the first and greatest commandment, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, uh, the version of this in Matthew 22, continues to say, all of the teachings of the law and the prophets hang on these. Pride thinks much of self. Johannan's on this side, Jeremiah's on this side. Pride thinks much of self. Love thinks much of others. Pride looks for its own gain and comfort. Love ignores an offer of freedom to care for people who are lost. Pride comes before the fall. Love builds up. Charles Spurgeon once said We can only come to the beginning of Christ once we've come to the end of ourselves. And that has worked out throughout the entirety of this book. So please invest in it. Look at it. When you get stuck on a chapter where you're like, where's the application? Sometimes we just need to look at the lives of those that God has put in place and see how they viewed him. Was he someone that they viewed, as Johanan did, as a power to enlist? a gumball machine where you could put in a prayer and get the thing you wanted? Or is he a God to be followed and obeyed, to be trusted with the very being of our lives, to be followed even when it doesn't seem like it's going to go well for us if we do? Invest in this book. See the nature of God presented to us see men shaped by it and how they lived as Jeremiah did invest in it but be careful what you bring into it we need to avoid that I think so this must mean this and we need to look at this first and say this says so I must think and I must do Don't take yourself into it. Don't try to shoehorn your thing into it. Don't come into it looking for your thing. Come to it looking for Jesus. Looking for hope. Looking for the thing, the main theme that runs through the entirety of this thing. Look for God's standard, his plan and his hope for his people. Like Jeremiah, approach with that heart of God says, so I must do. And if you feel lost or discouraged, remember, no matter how far away you may be removed from him and his will, no matter how far away or lost you might feel personally now at this juncture in your life, remember, just like he did here in Egypt, he can speak to you. He can call you. He can lead you. repentance and to return to him and if we return to him and be his people he will be our god amen would you please bow with me heavenly father i thank you so much for today i thank you for uh, your word lord so simple a thing is comparing and contrasting lives defined by humility and defined by pride Lord, let us be convicted and challenged by this. Pride sneaks into our lives sometimes so sneakily that it can even reveal itself in our understanding of the word. We can build ourselves up and look down on those around us. Lord, help us to be cautious and careful with the way we speak about and view those who don't belong to your church. Let us be gracious and loving of how we view those who walk in a way of faith different from that which is ours. Give us grace and understanding that while we were yet sinners, while we were lost, Christ died for us. You called us. And you have offered us salvation, not based on our merits or who we are. Lord, kill that pride in us. Humble us, Lord, to see and know what you have done. And in the midst of seasons that seem very difficult, as it was for Israel in this time, you are in control. Your promises are laid out before us. The endurance of your people and the home that waits for us is not changing. God, remind us as you taught the Apostle Paul in in Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't just mean, Lord, we get to be good at all the things we invest our prayer to. Lord, he says, I have known sickness and health. I have known wealth and poverty. I have known love and hate. And in all of these things, I can endure. Help us to walk humbly with you, Lord, to endure as your people, as your remnant that has been called into this world to shine for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Please bless us as we go into this week to shine. Amen.